0: Alpha and Omega, the story we find ourselves in. Chapter 11, Return. The king delivers his people home. We do not have much detail about the experiences of Israel during their years of exile and captivity. The nation went silent and was largely hidden for those 70 years. And though King Cyrus and the Persians overthrew the Babylonian Empire and took control of the territory of Canaan, or Judea, the former kingdoms of Israel and Judah, The return of the exiles back to Judea, 538 BC, King Cyrus of Persia decreed that the exiles be allowed to return to their ancestral homes and rebuild the temple. Scripture says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. We see that he was simply wanting to add this God to all the other gods, it wasn't that he actually believed. The first six chapters of the book of Ezra detail aspects of the return of the first wave of those who returned. When the exiles set up for home, the people around them blessed them with goods and livestock. It's a reminder of when Israel set out for the Promised Land from Egypt all those years before. Cyrus sent with them all the bronze, silver, and gold utensils for the temple that had been taken when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and had apparently been in storage ever since. Over 40,000 people returned at this time. By the second year after the return, the people had laid the foundation for rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. But opposition to building the temple arose from some people of Assyrian heritage who have been in Judea since the time of the exile of Israel. This entangled the construction in political and administrative delays with his successors to King Cyrus of Persia. Rebuilding the temple of God in Jerusalem was accomplished over a couple of decades by the returning exiles, even when fiercely opposed by local people and political leaders. It was at this time that the prophet Haggai was sent by God to challenge God's people to consider their priorities and complete the work on the temple. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you. The prophet Zechariah joined Haggai's encouragement through a series of visions and exhortations reminding God's people that even when it appeared that God's kingdom purposes were delayed or opposed, like the building of the temple, they were still advancing behind the scenes. His book is full of apocalyptic imagery and contains several messianic prophecies of the coming king from David's line. Prophecies like the king who would arrive on a donkey, one who would be pierced, who would have wounds on the back received from friends, the one who would be the king returned to the Mount of Olives, and more. Zachariah is often quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. Ezra was a faithful scribe who helped the returning exiles relearn what it meant to know and obey God's law. The last part of Ezra's book describes this. Nearly a hundred years after the first wave of returning exiles, Ezra was part of another group that returned. He was described as a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, who had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra was actually commissioned by the Persian king, King Artaxerxes, to teach God's law, restore the proper worship of Yahweh in the temple, and establish a judicial system for the province in accordance with God's law, and was provided money from the government treasuries to get started on that task. After he arrived, Ezra led the people to confess and repent of a serious transgression of God's law, the practice of intermarriage that had developed over the time between the people of God and the pagan peoples around them. Now, while Ezra was beginning his work, Nehemiah, an exile who rose to serve the Persian king's inner circle, grew burdened over the ruin of Jerusalem, sensed God's call, and returned to lead the rebuilding of the city's wall. All who had returned to Judah had built houses in the area of Jerusalem, but even with the temple reconstructed, there was no wall. The wall was important. It was a symbol of Jerusalem's strength, their security, and identity as Zion, the city of Yahweh. It had been in rubble since the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, and no progress had been made to rebuild it or to repopulate the city itself. When Nehemiah heard that, He agonized in prayer and asked King Artaxerxes' permission to go to Jerusalem and address the problem, which was granted. When he arrived, Nehemiah first examined the wall on horseback by night to get a feel for the scope of the project. He then challenged the people to rise up and do the work necessary to both build the wall and reassert God's reputation among the people of Judea. The rebuilding of the Jerusalem wall was a massive project that required the involvement of all God's faithful project in the Jerusalem region. The project was strongly opposed by locals with political connections, but by God's help it was completed and celebrated with great joy. Nehemiah organized God's people by families to work on sections of the wall. There was significant opposition to the construction with physical, political, and psychological attacks on the workers. But Nehemiah assigned half the people to work, with one hand on the weapon, and had to stand guard at all times. He stationed the people to fight in the same area where they worked and lived and wisely reminded them, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. The Lord helped and the wall was completed in 52 days. After the wall was completed, all the people gathered inside the walls. Ezra read the law aloud, and the men he had trained helped the people understand the law. When the people understood the law, they saw their sin against God, which brought grief to their hearts, but it also signaled their hearts were coming alive or tender to God again. So Nehemiah and Ezra encouraged them, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. A couple of weeks later, the people assembled again to confess more of their failure to keep God's covenant and to reaffirm their commitment to it. And the next time the people gathered, It was to dedicate the wall to God. They marched around the top of the wall with singing and shouting. The Lord had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the word says the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Even after all this time and the waves of exiles returning, some Jewish people still lived in Susa, the capital of Persia. Esther, a Jewish exile, became queen of Persia and saved the Jewish people from genocide. This is an odd story on a number of levels. The queen of Persia displeased the king and was banished. A year-long beauty contest was held to find a replacement for her, and Esther, an orphan being raised by her cousin Mordecai, was eventually selected by the king as the winner. But out of obedience to Mordecai and all her time in the palace, Esther had never told anyone she was a Jew. Around the same time, a prideful, ambitious man named Haman was elevated by the king to a position of authority in the kingdom. Because of that promotion, many people in the streets bowed in homage when Haman passed by, but not Mordecai. When Haman was told this and heard that Mordecai's reason was that he was a Jew, he was furious and determined to exterminate all the Jews in Persia. He lied to the king about a certain people, never naming the Jews in particular, who were rebellious and needed to be removed for the good of the kingdom. He even promised to pay the king a huge sum of money for the privilege of getting rid of the threat. The arrangements were made, the genocidal degree was signed, and a date was set for the massacre. Mordecai heard word of this on the street and got a message to Esther, pleading for her to go to the king on her people's behalf. But the practice of Persia was that only the king could initiate meetings. To violate that, even for the queen, could result in a death sentence. She told Mordecai this. And he sent word back. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So... Esther courageously and ingeniously worked out a plan to gain an audience with the king and trap Haman at the same time. She revealed Haman's plot, convinced the king to reverse his genocidal degree, saved all the Jews, and assured the Jews would remove their enemies. Beginning at that time, a celebration called Purim marked the Jews' deliverance with feasting, gift-giving, and serving the poor. The truly odd thing about the story of Esther It's the only book in the Bible that never mentions the name of God. It's all about the preservation of God's people and the advancement of God's redemptive plan, but God himself is not named. God's hand of providence is often mysterious, even hidden, but it's always serving his purpose. God's covenant people had been exiled for multiple generations and immersed in a pagan culture and now had to learn again what it meant to be God's people now they had returned to the promised land, and they had to learn again who God was and who they were. That's their identity as his covenant people. Where they came from, that's their history. How to worship God, that's the sacrifices and the feast. Why and how to obey God, that's the law, and much more. That learning is reflected in the last chapter of Nehemiah and in books like Malachi and First and Second Chronicles. The growth came slowly and with great struggle as minds hearts, and behaviors were again shaped around the Lord and His purposes.